Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Upper Room Podcast. This Wednesday night, we heard a message entitled The Perfect Pursuit of a Perfect God from Brother Cade Hendrick. It was such an encouraging message, and we hope you're blessed today. Second Chronicles chapter 30. And I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture and then skip down and read a few more. Verse 1 says, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. Neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation, so they established a decree to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. Now stay with me, we're going to skip down I believe verse 13 here, a little bit of lengthy reading. But it says, And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense took they away, and cast them into the brook Kidron. And they killed the Passover on the fourteenth day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites, for there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. And I'm reading all of this on purpose, so stay with me. You'll hear a lot, of, a lot of qualifying phrases in here. They were doing it at the wrong time, and they were sacrificing, but the priests were not sanctified. And they stood in their place after their manner, as we said, and they, they were in the congregation, those that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passover for everyone that was not clean, to sanctify them unto the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And verse 20 says, And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah, and he healed the people. And for just a moment, I want to teach, preach to you uh, from the thought and from this, this title, An Imperfect Pursuit of a Perfect God. If you will pray with me for just a moment over the word and over our hearts that we would receive tonight. Ask for God's anointing on this service and everything that's going to happen tonight. Lord, I ask for your anointing today. 
Lord, I ask that your word would speak to us, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive that which your word, God, would communicate to us today. Lord, help us to have good ground, Lord, in our hearts, that the word would fall on it and grow. God, that we would be strengthened and encouraged by your word today, Lord, and that your spirit, God, would encourage us and strengthen us today. Let the power of the Holy Ghost draw us closer to you, Lord, and let us be grateful, God, for all that you have done for us. As we pursue you, God, fill us with your presence and your power. Anoint my lips, God, as I speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Amen. You may be seated. It's such, a, such an honor to be here preaching to you. And God began to deal with me about this scripture. And as I began to read that story about the people of God, I immediately noticed how out of order everything was when they started to approach the Lord. Amen. And if you read the context of that passage of Scripture, amen, for quite a while the people of God had been out of alignment with God. And if you read in chapter 29, it's where Hezekiah is, is making an effort in his zeal for the things of God. He's making an effort to move back to the things that they should be doing. He is doing everything he knows how to do to reopen the temple. They're relighting the lamps. They're, they're dusting off the tables, amen. And they're, they're moving things out of the way that shouldn't have been there. They're sanctifying themselves and they're, and they're approaching to God in their zeal. They are passionately pursuing God with everything that they have because they recognize their error and their fault. And in his zeal and in their, er in their desire to get close to God, there were a few things that they misstepped on. They didn't quite follow it exactly by the book. And there was a few things that, that they did out of an, in an untimely order or didn't quite do it exactly at the right time of year or the way that the Bible said to do it. And if you look, they made preparation for the Passover and good was the preparation. They took away all the idolatrous altars that were found, not only in the temple, but in Jerusalem. Before they kept the feast, they cast out the old leaven and the best preparation, amen, that we can make for the gospel Passover is to cast away our iniquities and spiritual idolatries, amen. And the celebration of the Passover, when they began to get ready for this, the people were so forward and zealous that even the priests and the Levites blushed to see themselves outdone by the common people because the people were so zealous for the things of God, the priest realized, man, we've got to get this together and we want to pursue him as hard as the people are pursuing them. This put them upon sanctifying themselves that the work might not stand still for want of hands to carry it on, as Matthew Henry wrote. They realized, you know what, we're pursuing God and we're chasing him with everything we got and that's who we are as a church and I want to say to anybody today, if you're here today and you want to be a part of what the church is doing, it's high time, amen. Man, to give everything we got to the kingdom of God, to put aside every weight and every sin that would so easily beset us and pour ourselves into whatever God is doing. Amen. I want to be a part of the kingdom and whatever God wants to accomplish. And we take notice of the zeal of others. And, and sometimes when we recognize the zeal of someone else, it, it makes us feel a little bit like, man, I haven't been really doing everything I should do. Amen. And there's a, there's a positive pressure there when we begin to pursue God with everything that we have. Amen. And I'm thankful for a church that pursues him. It makes us aware of maybe our own coldness or our own uh, our own times where we've allowed things to kind of to come to be slack. And it quickens us not only to do our duty, but to do it well. Amen. And to sanctify ourselves to it. Amen. And commit ourselves to it. And they did according to the duty of their place. Verse 16 says, sprinkling the blood of the altar, which was a type of Christ. 
uh, our Passover sacrifice for us. Amen. But in their zeal, there were a few things they did wrong, a few irregularities. If you look at the scripture, and I'll sum a few of them up. First of all, the Levites killed the Passover, which should have been done by the priests, but the priests weren't sanctified. They weren't quite ready. Secondly, many were permitted to eat the Passover who were not purified according to the strictness of the law. Man, so there was another misstep. But one of the main ones is that they did it an entire month behind schedule past when they were supposed to observe this day. Now, if you remember what the Passover is, does anybody remember what the Passover is to commemorate? Amen. It's the, it's the blood on the doorpost when the, when the angel of the Lord came down and, and, was, and was delivering the people of God from Egypt. They would put the blood on the doorpost and the one that would, the spirit or the angel of God that would kill the firstborn came and it passed over the houses that had the blood applied. Amen. And I'm thankful for the blood that's applied. Amen. And it would pass over them and they were celebrating that the Lord had delivered him and that them and that he had passed over their sins and that he had set them free and they were celebrating this uh, not quite in the right time. Amen. And if you look at this story, you know that God, especially in the Old Testament, is a God of order and He is very meticulous about things being done a certain way and many of the covenants that He made with His people were very conditional, very based on them doing the right thing the right way. Amen. When He gave Noah instructions for the ark, when He did all of those things, He was so specific with how it was to be done and there was a very exact and perfect way and when I saw that the Lord, amen, in their zeal, when they had made a mistake in their zeal to pursue Him, when I saw that He made an exception for the rule, amen, I began to question a little bit in my mind. I thought, wow, that's, that doesn't quite sound like necessarily the God of the Old Testament that you typically hear about in the Old Testament. That sounds a little bit like the God of the New Testament, amen, amazing that it's the same God. Amen. In the Old Testament, that's in the New Testament. But I thought, wow, he, he, he bent the rules a little bit and he, he forgave them. And when Hezekiah prayed, he said, Lord, I know we haven't done everything perfectly. And I know our pursuit hasn't quite been exactly what it should be. But God, we want to serve you with everything we've got. God, we're making room. We have been diligent, as diligent as we know how to be. And I apologize for my imperfections, Lord. But please don't punish these people that have set their heart to approach unto you and the Lord forgave them, amen, and the Lord passed over. And there's something revealed about the God that we serve when we look at these scriptures. There's something that began to catch my attention when I begin to look at this scripture, and it is that there is something about someone who sets their heart and their mind to pursue God that God loves. There is something about somebody who's got their mind made up to serve Him that the Lord just latches on to. Amen. In spite of all of the other flaws and all of the other failures, there's something about zeal and passion for the kingdom of God that the Lord loves. Amen. That He he absolutely loves. And there are times where you see in Scripture that zeal has impressed the Lord. It's made an impact upon him. It's caused him to maybe change a decision that he would have made. And there's several, several Scriptures that you can reference to see this. If you look at Jacob in the Old Testament, amen, we know that he was a supplanter. He was after the promises of God, but he was deceitfully pursuing the promises of God, amen, and eventually the Lord had to have a reckoning moment with him and change his very nature and change his name from Jacob to Israel. He said, you're not going to do this the wrong way anymore, but Jacob was desirous of the promises of God, amen, and Esau was the opposite.
prophecy. Esau just threw them away so flippantly and had an attitude that was very flippant for the promises of God. He gave up his birthright and, and traded it all for a bowl of soup. But Jacob, Jacob was so hungry for the promises of God. He was willing to do whatever it takes, even if it was the wrong thing. And there was something about that that God said, you know, you know, Esau has the wrong attitude about the kingdom. And yeah, Jacob, you're wrong. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to touch the hollow of your thigh. You're going to have to wrestle with angels to change your name. But, but there's something about somebody who's hungry for the things of God. Amen. There's something about somebody who wants to pursue him with everything that they have. Amen. And, and I read the story about the woman with the issue of blood being thronged with such a great crowd. And when she needed to get to Jesus, it didn't matter what she had to do. She was going to touch the hem of his garment. Amen. And there was a zeal for the kingdom of God. I'm just, I want to point out to you, there is nothing quite like zeal when it comes to connecting with God. When God sees somebody that has passion for the kingdom of God, that wants to pursue him with everything they are. Amen. It gets his attention. Amen. And there was a blind man that I read about. And I don't know about you, but if I was blind, I wouldn't really care what other people thought. But he heard a great commotion in a city. And Jesus was walking by. And he said, Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. Amen. As the scripture says. And everybody said, Man, be quiet. You're out of order. You need to shut your mouth. But he cried all the louder. And he said, Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus turned from his way. And he met him right where he was. He said, What do you need and he healed him but that was because there was something inside of him that was crying out for the miracle that only God could do amen there's something about zeal for the kingdom of God that God loves a passionate pursuit even if it's imperfect amen a passionate desire to do the will of God amen and perhaps one of the most imperfect people in the New Testament that we read about was Saul who was later called Paul amen and he said in his own testimony of himself he said concerning zeal he said, I was so zealous for the kingdom of God that I was even willing to persecute the church. He said, my thinking was twisted. He said, but I thought I was trying to do the will of God. And he needed a revelatory road to Damascus experience where the Lord revealed himself to him and where God changed him and forever twisted, changed his mind around. But there was something about the zeal in that man's heart for the kingdom of God that God saw and said, you know, he's really messed up. He's a murderer. He's got all kind of problems. And he's Pursuing what he thinks is right. But there's something about zeal and passion that God loves. There's something about a young person or about somebody, a saint of God in the church that just says, I want to live for God with everything I've got. There's something about somebody brand new that comes into the church and is refilled with the Holy Ghost or filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time. And they're burning with passion for the kingdom of God that God loves. Amen. And it serves notice on the rest of us that sometimes get a little comfortable coming into his presence and we forget how good God has been to us amen and we forget how much he deserves our very best church I pray if we burn with anything we burn with passion for the kingdom of God amen there's something about zeal for the kingdom that gets God's attention Amen. There is something about someone who is willing to pursue no matter what the cost that God absolutely loves. Amen. You may be seated. And if you look at the scripture, and I'm kind of preaching. I don't know how to teach sometimes on Wednesday night. Y'all will preach a preacher to death. I've learned that about Calvary. And I'm thankful for it. Amen. Let me just take a moment and say how much I love this church. 
Amen. I love Calvary Pentecostal Church. Amen. I've been a few places lately preaching, and I'm just telling you, you all are awesome. Amen. Thank you for getting with us. Amen. Especially us young preachers and believing in us and get behind us. I love it. Amen. Thank you so much because not everywhere you go is the same. Amen. Amen. Praise God for a good church. So let me move on. If you're listening to what I'm saying tonight, you will hear repeated that there is a theme in Scripture that somebody who has zeal and passion for the kingdom of God, God, God is, is drawn to it even, even when there's imperfection. And listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for perfection. We're getting there in just a moment. So don't make me qualify what I'm saying, but I am saying that there is something that gets God's attention. Amen. If you look at the kingdom of heaven, Jesus, every time he would tell a story about what the kingdom of heaven was going to be like, it, it had something to do with us pursuing something. Amen. In Matthew 13, he said, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for the joy thereof goeth and sells everything he has, and he buys that field. Amen. And again, the, the theme is he's going to do everything it takes to buy that field. Amen. Whatever the kingdom of God is, I'll sell everything I got. I'll do everything I have to do to buy whatever the kingdom has to offer. Amen. And verse 45 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. And it speaks again of the zeal of the zeal of a person to give themselves to God and pursue Him with everything that they have. Amen. And if you look, look, look at this story, pardon me, if you look at this story of Hezekiah and the people of God, they were so zealous to return to God. They were so hungry for the presence of God that sometimes maybe they didn't do everything perfectly on their pursuit to Him. Amen. But they wanted the things that God had for them. Amen. They wanted the promises of God. Amen. And they, they were willing to do whatever it took. They were willing to, to get down in the nitty gritty and in the trenches and get all the issues out of their life. Amen. And there was a zeal for repentance that I think we could probably do with a little more of today. Amen. If we're not careful, sometimes we get, and, and I heard this preacher at a camp not too long ago, and it really struck me. The preacher said, you know, we try to bleach the altar. We try to make repentance look really clean. And he said, God, I'm, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. And we just leave it at that. But he said, listen, he said, if you're not careful, you'll get removed from the cost and the price that had to be paid for sin to be removed. Because these people, when they tried to sanctify themselves, they had to sacrifice an animal. And it was tedious, and it was messy, and it was not pretty, and it was ugly. And they had to deal with the mess of it. And sometimes we've tried to kind of make repentance so easy, and, and we're just, we just want to pass over it. But, but I want to ask today, is there anybody that's willing to go down in the deep corners of your heart and say, God, whatever it takes, God, whatever issue I want to deal with that needs to be dealt with, in my life, Lord, I don't care if it's messy. I want to repent of it, Lord. I want to think through it. God, I'm not just going to say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to sit down if I've got to write down in prayer journal whatever I have to do. God, how did I get myself into that situation? What was the decision that caused me to get there? How can I stay out of that in the future? And memorize some scripture on top of it maybe so we can deal with that issue in the first place. Amen. And everyone that's tempted, the Bible says, is only drawn away by his own lust. Amen. And so why don't we get rid of our own desires and our own lust and do the dirty work and do whatever it takes to get in the altar and say, God, open up the 
secret places of my heart and know me and make sure, God, that I am pure. Amen. It's time. We need to reveal the, the issues in our life. We need to mindfully consider our sin. God, how did I get myself here? God, I'm sorry. In godly sorrow, you may be seated. Second Corinthians, it says, Paul is writing, he says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. This is one of my favorite parts of the scripture. He said, what carefulness it wrought in you. Amen. As we're talking about zeal and about pursuing God. Amen. And maybe an imperfect pursuit. He said, what carefulness it wrought in you. You're going to be careful next time, Lord. I'm not going to walk that way next time. I'm going to be very careful. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. What indignation against the enemy. Because you know all that sin is. is a distraction to destroy your soul. What righteousness indignation you have against sin when you've really repented of it and you recognize the harm that it does to you and everyone around you and he said yea what fear and yea what vehement desire to serve the Lord and yea what zeal amen yea what zeal you see zeal comes in that pursuit of God God I want you no matter what it takes and what revenge and all these things you've approved yourself to be clear in this matter amen and as they pursued God they begin to dig into the deepest places and say God whatever it takes I want to pursue you God I want to I want to be open with you at an altar I want you to clear everything out of my life I don't want to hide anything I don't want to lie to myself or anyone else about anything I want some accountability in my life amen you know what the word accountability means it means to count it up Amen. How self-excusing can we get sometimes? Amen. When we just excuse ourselves from the things over and over and over again. Count it up. Count how many times. He said, make yourself accountable. Think about it. Make sure we're mindful. Amen. And the great thing as written by a commentator, he said, the great thing required in our attendance upon God in solemn ordinances is that we prepare our hearts to seek Him, that we may be sincere and upright in all that we do. Amen. Does anybody want to be sincere and upright in everything that we do? Amen. To serve the Lord with a pure heart and a pure mind, that the inward man be engaged and employed in it, and that we make heart work out of it. Lord, change my heart. Lord, reach into the deepest places of my soul. It is all nothing without this. Amen. If the Lord doesn't change our hearts, it's all worth nothing. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward part. And if you look at Hezekiah, he does not pray that their sin might be dispensed with, nor that the want of other things might be pardoned where there was not this. For this is the one thing that was needful that they seek the Lord. Amen. Lord, we might have made a mistake, amen, in our pursuit, but we are seeking you and we are asking you, Lord, for your favor. And we are asking you, Lord, for your honor that we may set our hearts to do it. Amen. Does anybody want to serve the Lord? Amen. Does anybody want to give everything they've got to the kingdom of God? Amen. Does anybody have or feel that same that same feeling, God, I just want to be close to you. God, I want to serve you. I can imagine the whole nation of Israel as they were walking in darkness and as they begin to realize, man, when we're throwing off all these chains and all these issues, how, how close we are getting to God. And, and they were so, so excited to be in God's presence. If you read 
chapter 31 and, and the rest of that scripture, it talks about joy. It talks about how they were full of joy and how they were full of peace. And the Lord began to give in abundance to them because they began to give to the kingdom as they should have. And God began to bless them. Amen. But there was something about those people that had a zeal for God. Amen. And I want to tell somebody today that you may be here today in this service, and I feel like very specifically today there are some people who possibly you have pursued God at some point in your life, and then maybe you found yourself in a place where you weren't doing everything you knew you should have done. Amen. And you've been discouraged because of your failure, and you've been discouraged because of your stumble. But I just want to tell you today that the proper response to failure is to get up again. Amen. The proper response to falling into sin is to repent and to give everything we got to it and say, God, I want to get up again. Amen. Conviction is of God and it draws us closer to Him. But I want to tell somebody today that condemnation is not of God. Amen. You might have stumbled and you might have fallen. Your pursuit might be imperfect, but I'm just telling you, you get up again and you keep walking in righteousness. You keep pursuing Him with everything you've got. I would rather you stumble ten times on your way to Calvary than to walk out and quit because you failed one time. Come on, somebody. It's time to get up. Amen. No matter what the sin is, no matter what the issue is, make up in your mind, I'm going to live for God. Amen. I'm going to get up and I'm going to put my feet back on the ground and I'm going to serve the Lord. The Bible says, for a just man falleth seven times, but he rises up again. Amen. He rises up again. And I want to tell somebody today that it doesn't matter how far you've run or where you've been today that if you will begin to pursue the Lord. Amen. If you will begin to pursue the Lord. It says that He will meet you in the middle of your pursuit. Amen. He will meet you where you are. He said, you draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh unto you and I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you walk the right way. I'm going to meet you in the middle of it. Amen. And I just want to tell somebody today that no matter what your sin is, get up again. Amen. Get up and keep walking even if it's an imperfect pursuit. Don't let the enemy tell you that you can't pursue him anymore. Amen. Because of your stumble. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. And as I looked at that, I realized that God sometimes looks at us and, and please understand what I'm saying. Please understand. I believe that there, there is absolute truth in the Word of God and, and the, is forever settled and, and that the, the Lord is a just God. Amen. And we have to align with His Word no matter what. Please understand me when I say that. But also understand that there's something revealed about God here that sometimes it's not always about where you are as it is it's about where you're headed. Amen. I would rather you stumble ten times on the way to Calvary than to just quit because you made one mistake. Church, I'm just telling you today, God, I'm telling you today, don't be discouraged. Don't let the enemy talk you into quitting because of a failure. Amen. Don't let him talk you into thinking that you're all by yourself and that God's mad at you and he's abandoned you because you messed up. Amen. It's time to get up. Amen. And walk with him. Amen. Amen. And sometimes it's about our direction. And it's about giving ourselves to Him. Amen. And as I begin to look at the Scripture, amen, I realize that God honored the zeal of those people. Amen. But as I really begin to look a little deeper, I realize that herein was the proof of an imperfect people. Those striving for and trying to approach unto God in all of their effort, they still fell short. Amen. 
But I also realized it is also the proof of an imperfect covenant. And the Lord said this, and I'll give you scripture for it in a moment. But, but the law they were living under, it was impossible for them to overcome sin. Because the Spirit of God was not in them, helping them as it is in us today. Amen. And I realized that it was an imperfect covenant. And I began to ask the question, why did God bend the rule for them? Why did He allow them to have that grace even in the Old Testament. But then I begin to realize that there never ever has been a pursuit of God that could ever merit His mercy. In that covenant or in the covenant we live in today, there's nothing you or I could ever do to earn His mercy. There's nothing you and I could ever do to earn His grace. Now we must pursue Him. I just preached about it for 10 minutes, so please don't get me wrong. Amen. 20 minutes, however long that was. I saw the youth over there glancing around. That wasn't 10 minutes. Praise the Lord. But there is something about when you look at this, I realize that there is nothing that you and I could do to earn it necessarily. And I begin to look, and this is what the scripture says. I begin to, to read about it. And the Lord, if you, if you look at that scripture, God knows us. Amen. He made us. And even where there is this sincerity and fixedness of heart, there may still be a defect and infirmity that we're unaware of. Both the frame of the Spirit and the performance of the service that we're supposed to do may be short of the purification of the sanctuary. We're not as pure as we ever should be, ultimately, without God. Corruptions may not be fully conquered. Our thoughts may not be so closely fixed on God that we never err. Our affections may be on the wrong things. And our faith may not be as it should be. And here is a defect in sanctuary purification. There is nothing perfect under the sun, nor a just man that doeth good and sinneth not. As one of the commentators said, he said, and these defects need pardoning, healing grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For omission in duty are sins as well as omissions of duty. If God should deal with us in strict justice according to the best of our performances. Amen. Is everybody with me? This is a commentator speaking. He's a little complicated in his words. He said, if the Lord's going to deal with you and I based on our best performance, he said, then we should be undone. He said, because we could never earn it. We could never earn the, the grace and the mercy of God. And so when we look at that story, we get a glimpse of something that's a little bit different. Amen. It was going to take something more than what man could do. Yes, all the passion and all the zeal in the world gets God's attention. And He loves it. And there's something about it that attracts Him to it. But at the end of the day, there's nothing you and I could do in and of ourselves that would merit His mercy and His grace. Amen. It was going to take something more than what we could do. It was going to take God bridging the gap and answering Hezekiah's prayer. Reveal Feeling something about his own nature. He is not willing that any should perish today. Amen is what the scripture says. But that all would come to repentance. A bruised reed he will not break is what the Bible says. And a smoking flax shall he not quench. And it was a glimpse of what God was going to do. It was a better covenant and better promises. And yes, he wasn't going to leave us destitute. And he wasn't going to leave the bridge uncrossed. Because even at the best that they had done, there was still a gap between them and God. And God had to fill the gap. And when he did it then, we got a glimpse of what he was going to, to do later on as we read in Hebrews 8, 6-13. through 13. And this is why I say there's a better covenant because the scripture says there's a better covenant. Verse 6-13 through 13 says, But now, this is Hebrews, New Testament, 
But now hath he attained, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Amen. Which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second covenant. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, amen, and I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, and from from the least to the greatest, they're going to know me. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old, amen. And I'm so thankful for the new covenant, amen. And when I begin to read that scripture, I thought it was out of place, but really it was just a glimpse of what was to come and how God was going to meet us somewhere when we had done everything we knew how to do, when we had put everything aside that we knew how to put put aside when I had given everything I knew how to give and I still didn't measure up he was the God of the difference and he stepped in and he didn't leave me where he found me oh somebody are you thankful today that you're not the way that you used to be aren't you thankful that he's forgiven you aren't you thankful that he's made a way when there was no way I'm telling you you could have tried with everything you had but you never could have earned it amen and scripture says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And he came to earth, amen, and he robed himself in flesh and was, and was crucified. He died and he was buried and he rose again, amen, on the third day. And then he gave his spirit to us to enable us to live out the righteousness that he has for us. He paved the way between us. He was the mediator. And by him, all of our prayers and our answered amen and all of our sins are forgiven amen and he gave us his righteousness and he gave us his blood to cover our minds and our sins amen and as I realized this scripture and what he was doing I realized he was revealing just a glimpse of what he was going to do in the future amen and I'm so thankful for that new covenant Amen. I'm so thankful for His mercy today. And I'm just telling somebody today that if you're here and you need God to help you in your life, if you've backslidden and you need to get back to God, I need you today to give Him everything you got. You need to come and you need to repent and you need to be honest. But I'm just telling you, if you will, the Bible says He is just and merciful. He is faithful to forgive us if we will confess our sins. And another scripture says seek the Lord while he may be found. Amen. Seek him while he may be found. Let him be your friend right now so that he don't have to be your judge later. Uh, let him be your judge right now while he can still be your friend. Amen. And let him make everything in your life right. But I'm just telling you, he's coming to pursue you. He is coming to reach you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm getting ready to close. I want to I want to share one more thought before, before I have a stand for, for the end of my message tonight. Amen. And my title is An Imperfect Pursuit of a Perfect God. And I'm so thankful that as imperfect as my pursuit has been, that there was a perfect God. Amen. There was a perfect God who could bridge the gap 
Hallelujah. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you know you're, you're beyond help of this world. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you knew that no one could help you except the Lord. And then the hand of God reach into your life and pull you out of that situation. Amen. I may be imperfect in my pursuit. May not be pretty. I may have stumbled so many times on my way to God. But I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting until I reach heaven. Amen. And I know that His grace is sufficient. And He's going to pick us up. We must be accountable. We must repent. But we serve a perfect God who is able to help us overcome. Who is able to deliver us. And when temptation comes, He said, I'll make a way of escape for you. I will make a way of escape. I won't put on you more than you can bear. Amen. You and God are a majority. You can make it. Amen. And you can live for God. Amen. So no matter how impossible your addiction feels, no matter how bound you feel, I'm just telling us tonight, I'm reminding you tonight that the Lord, amen, is, is here to help you if you will, if you will submit to Him, if you will give yourself over to Him. Amen. Amen. And you can be seated. And I was recently in a crowd of people. And I haven't really witnessed this before. I thought about it before I got there. Because I always... I, I, I've been reading the New Testament a lot, and, and for whatever reason, as I've read the New Testament lately, it's just stuck out to me so real. And I know, I know we know that. I know we know it's real. Obviously, it happened. It's a historical book. Amen. But, but I almost felt like I was in the story, and I almost felt like Paul was just doing all this in another city right down the road, and, and he was experiencing these things. And, and I began to read about Jesus, and I began to read about Paul, and I began to read about all these stories, and... And the crowds of people that would throng Jesus, amen, and the crowds of people that would be around him wanting to hear him and wanting to touch from God and wanting to be in his presence. And, and uh, I knew when we, when we got ready to go to this event, uh, this is the 150th British Open, you heard about it the other night from Brother Trimmer. I, um, I got to, we, we went out on this field and we saw all the grandstands. We got there before all, most of the people did and I couldn't fathom there's, there's, I don't even know, 15 or 20 sets of these grandstands all over the course, and I couldn't fathom how they could ever all be full with that many people. And, and I've been to conferences, I've been to NAYC, I've seen 80,000, 40,000 people, however many, I've seen a lot of people in one place at one time, okay, I've, I've been some places, okay, but, but there was expected to be around 300,000 people at this event, more than I've ever seen anywhere in one place all at the same time in that condensed of an area, and, and so much so that we couldn't even park in the town. We had to park two or three, five miles away from the town and ride a bus in, and they would, they would bring us in because there was not parking. There was not room for everyone, and, and there were so many people. And this is the 18th green. This is the last player to play, and everyone on the entire course that's come is surrounding this, this last moment of this golf tournament. And if you look, there's people all out all out coming down the, the, the fairway. There's, there's a set of stands on the right and people crowded down the road as far as you can see on the left. And what you don't see is that on this side, from the perspective of the picture, there's a whole other set of grandstands as big, if not bigger, than the two on that side. And it's full of thousands of people. And, and we begin to, to walk around this course and just watch some of my favorite players play. It was, it was amazing how all of a sudden you would just get caught up in this sea of people. And whether you wanted to go or not, you're just going, okay? And it's like, man, you're just like caught up in the flow. And if you ever wanted to go the other way, it, it, it took quite an effort. I mean, you had to step out of the way or you had to be in the right place. As a matter of fact, if we wanted to see certain people, we would have to go way in advance. We would have to go. They'd be on hole number two.
two and we would go to hole number nine and sit there and try to get a spot just to watch these people walk by. That sounds pretty crazy, don't it? <laughs> that sounds pretty wild. Just to watch a guy hit a little white ball on the golf course, you know. That's so funny. Now that I think about that, that is pretty ridiculous. Just to watch somebody hit a golf ball, that's pretty hilarious. Hey, man, it makes you sound a little silly. And until you play, I always thought golf wasn't a sport until I played it and figured out how hard it was. And then I realized it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Amen. And so I appreciate it a lot more. So all of you haters, don't hate until you try it, okay? But it's amazing what these guys do. And we follow them around. And, and listen, man, I felt like a little kid, man. I had my little backpack and I had my little sack lunch in my backpack because the food there is so expensive. I was like, nah. I'm not paying four or five, ten bucks. Well, I pay five bucks for coffee all the time. I'm not paying eight or ten dollars for a cup of coffee or a pound, right, an English pound. I'm not about to pay 20 bucks for, for a sausage roll because they don't have hot dogs. They have, it's totally, food's totally different. And uh, maybe they had hot dogs at one place. But I was like, man, I, so I had my little sack lunch, and we were going around the course. And if I wanted to see somebody, I had to completely get out of my comfort zone if I wanted a spot at the front. And I can just tell you, you know me. I've been around for quite a while. My personality, uh, some may beg to differ, but my personality is naturally introverted. The ministry and the Holy Ghost has helped me to get out of my introversion. Amen. But if you want a spot, you're going to have to make it happen because I can guarantee you right now nobody's going to do it for you. Amen. And it's not like, oh, excuse me, pardon me, could I please? No, that does not happen at all. As a matter of fact, it's hard to hang on to your Holy Ghost when you're getting bumped into and ran over by all these people that are running like crazy to watch a person hit a golf ball. It's insane what people are willing to do. And I, I just, just walking around the course, and because this is, you know, this, same, this seems silly, okay? It's cliche maybe. I don't know. This is my walk with God. But because this is the frame of mind that I live my life through, Amen. This is the mindset I was in. I was just reading stories about the throng of people that were surrounding Jesus and the people that, and I was standing in the biggest crowd of people I've ever seen, and I couldn't help but realize that, that there's not a whole lot of difference, amen, between some of those people. You would see them run up to the tallest part of the hill and stand on their tiptoes, little kids climbing their dad's shoulders so they could see a person. They would get, they would literally sprint to the top of the stairs to try to get the best view and, and they would bring a sack lunch and they would wait all day. Someone didn't even have food. They didn't even plan. They just, whatever they could do to get there because they wanted to be in that place to see that thing happen and I begin to realize, I wonder what it was like around Jesus when, when he started opening blinded eyes, amen, and when he started healing people. I wonder how much hope they felt, amen, when a person who had been blind, a man who had been blind his whole life, all of a sudden heard that somebody who could heal him was coming through town and he began to cry out oh God oh God have mercy on me have mercy on me Lord and, and heal me of my infirmity when somebody is so bound in sin that they can't get out and they're so desperate to get free from sin I love seeing somebody come to the altar with that same desperation and just God I don't even know I'm so imperfect God I'm so messed up but I'm so sick of the pain of sin I'm so sick of all of the mess that that the world has brought to me. I'm so thankful that we serve a God, a man who in spite of our imperfectness and our pursuit, 
is extending a hand today to each and every one of us every day to say, look, I know you're imperfect, but I'm here to help you. Amen. You don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. Amen. So no matter where you are right now or where you've been, I'm just telling you, you're fighting, but He's fighting harder. Amen. And He's reaching for you today. Amen. And He wants to heal you. And He wants to restore you. He wants to fill you with His Spirit. Amen. And He wants to make a way for you. Enough to bring Himself to this earth and die on Calvary. Amen. And suffer the shame and extend His hand to you to reach you in your imperfection as we're coming to a close here. As we're coming to a close, I know that your pursuit may be imperfect, but I'm just telling you, you have a God, amen, who loves you and who is willing, amen, and who has already done what is needed for you to be able to reach Him, amen. And for those of you, saints of God, who have been serving God for so long, perhaps today is not revelatory to you. Perhaps it's just a reminder, amen, and we ought to be grateful, amen. We ought to have gratitude in our spirit so we can always find ourselves in any message, amen, and we just think about the goodness of God and everything that He's done and every blessing that He's poured out upon us, amen. Some man said His mercy is when we don't get what we deserved, amen, because we didn't deserve anything good, and His grace is when we got what we didn't deserve, every blessing He poured out that we didn't deserve. So, saying of God, reflect on that as I'm preaching today, but if you're here and you're a backslider or if you're in a place where you just are so hungry for more of God, I'm just telling you today that He's extending His hand to you and that He loves you. Amen. Let me read you a scripture about how He feels about you, about how He feels about this. I read about Jesus' parables as it pertains to how I should see the kingdom. And the parables spoke of zeal. Sell everything you can and go by the field. Do whatever you have to do to get to the house of God. Be in the presence of God. If you've got to sleep with your Bible next to you in your hand, whatever you have to do, study Him in the morning. Study, pray at night. Let Him be on your radio all day long. Put Him in the middle of your house. Whatever you have to do, do everything you can. Get in the presence of God on work days, on Sundays, on Wednesdays, every day. Amen. Be in the presence of God. Do everything you can do. But there's another set of parables that I started to read, and I thought it was still the same thing. I thought it was Jesus telling his disciples that they should do this in zeal to search for some things. But as a matter of fact, as I studied and and realized, he actually flips it around. And he said, I know you're pursuing me, and I know you love, and you're doing everything you can. But there were some sinners that came to eat with Jesus, and he was getting accused and ridiculed by the righteous. Amen. And he told a couple of other parables. He said, well, here's how I feel about it. And here's how I feel about you. In Luke verse eight, chapter 18, he says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. The cross is pretty crowded with a lot of, a lot of, mess, a lot of different kinds of people. Amen. With a lot of sin, a lot of messed up stuff. The publicans and sinners came to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and he eateth with them. How dare you, Lord? How dare you eat with someone so unrighteous? And Jesus told this parable. And I thought this was the other way around, another admonition to me about what I should do to pursue him. But this is really him revealing his heart about how he wants to pursue us. He said, What man of you having a hundred sheep? 
If he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost. And that one's a little more familiar. I felt like he was under speaking of speaking of us. But which one of you, if you've lost a sheep, doesn't leave the rest and go find the one that's lost and search until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. That's how God feels about it when we repent. And when he finds us in his presence, he rejoices. And so does all of heaven. Amen. Lays him on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Church, I know this is a simple message, but this is what God gave me. And I don't know who it's for today. And I just I hope it speaks to somebody today. I know I'm preaching to the church. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Saints of God, if this is not you right now, then just rejoice because it's not you. Amen. But sinner, if you're here today, backslider, anybody that feels far from God, amen, this is what he said. He said, and, and he told another story. He said, when he cometh home, he called together his neighbors and rejoiced with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. But then he tells another story and he says, Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the entire house and seek diligently until she find that piece of silver. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And Luke verse 9, chapter 19, verse 1 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And in the context of my whole story and my whole message, I'm here to tell you today that you need to give everything you have to God. You need to repent. You need to pursue Him with everything you have. But I want you to know that He's also pursuing you. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost, that which was lost. Such a powerful and uplifting word we heard today from Brother Cade Hendrick. Hey, if you want to stay connected with the church and podcast, do not forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook at Calvary Ulyss. That's Calvary Ulyss. Or visit our website at calvaryulyss.org. That's calvaryulyss.org. And we cannot wait to connect with you guys there. Hope to see you guys next time on the Upper Room Podcast. God bless.